1: Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 240, brought to you by Hook'em.com. And our good friends at Bud Light, my name's Cedric Golden, and I'm joined, as usual, by the Duck, Kirk Bowles. And Duck, uh, I know over the years we've had some great broadcasters come join us on the podcast, and we landed another big fish today. Before I introduce him, I I know this is cumbersome, but I'm going down the laundry list. Brent Musburger, Jim Nance, Vern Lundquist, Dick Vitale, Prayers out to Dickie V, Kirk Herbstreit, Craig Way, Brad Sham, David Faraday, Joe Tessator. That's a Hall of Fame list. And we are adding ESPN College game day host Reese Davis to that illustrious list. Uh, Reese will be in Cincinnati on Saturday with the game day crew for Cincy V Tulsa. Reese, how are you, brother?
2: I'm doing great. I like that introduction, but when you said the most popular man in America from eight to eleven, I thought, wait a minute, is Corso on here too? <laughs> I should have said
1: I should have said from eight to ten fifty nine uh, because yeah, that last minute is all Corso. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: no doubt, no doubt about it. Uh, every the entire College Football Saturday builds up to that moment. You know, we we're ready to kick off once uh, uh, once that happens. I really don't know what Air Force and Army are trying to accomplish. Uh, kicking off Saturday before L.C. does the headgear pick. Everybody knows that's when the Saturday's supposed to start. So that's that's a little perplexed.
0: That's not kosher at all. (laughs) (laughs) Marisa, man, it's such a thrill to have you on. You know, Cedric and I are just huge fans, and we just love how you you combine professionalism and and witticisms and humor, and you just kind of get it. And I just wanted to throw that out there up front.
2: Well, that that's very kind of you. I, I appreciate that. And you know, it's 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 a balancing act when you do what all of us do for a living. You're occasionally going to ruffle somebody's feathers, maybe not intentionally. That's not in my nature to do it intentionally, but but it happens and but you know, I try to you know, I try to have fun with it because I mean this is a privilege and a blessing to be able to cover the sport that I love the most and have the job, which for me personally um, I can't imagine a better job in television than this. So it's it's a lot of fun to do, and it's
0: gratifying when you hear that people enjoy your work. Well, uh, you, you do a great blend of, you know, you're professional and one of the most likable guys on TV. I met you once uh, at the National Football Foundation with UMC when I was president of the Football writers, and I, I told Cedric just how gracious and uh, friendly you are. So uh, with, uh, anyway, with no further ado, the standings came out. Tuesday night, did you think they got it right? You know,
2: and I'm not trying to straddle the fence initially right out of the gate here. I don't know that there is such a thing as get it right. Because typically in our sporting culture, get it right means did you agree with me or not? You know? <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, <laughs> so I would say that for the most part, I understood their logic and thought that it was reasonable. I think maybe it's the best thing. Um, I'm a voter in the AP poll. My ballot does not reflect exactly what they have. Um, I have Cincinnati second. I have Oklahoma third, although I'm going to tell you I had to hold my nose and put Oklahoma third because I think Alabama's better than them. Yes. But I've sort of adopted a little bit of the philosophy right now that in this season with uh, the lack of separation between uh, what is perceived to be the elite and the rest, it's not like the last few years when Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and at least for the one-year LSU, clearly were better than everybody else. I mean, you didn't have to be a football expert to watch that and understand that. That's not that way this year. So I think this is a year to reward the zero in the loss column within reason. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that all of the undefeated teams have to be ranked ahead of the one-loss teams. But, you know, that's how I have it stacked up. But I thought, I thought what we saw in the initial rankings was reasonable. They valued head-to-head. If you had a bad loss, which Oregon does, you better have a big win to offset it, which Oregon does. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, and, and, you know, I think the other thing is that with Cincinnati, Cincinnati has a big win also at Notre Dame. That's a really good win. But I think. The, I think the committee, like a lot of us, is a little bit skeptical. And uh, not that Notre Dame isn't good, but they're not as good as they were last year. Not as good as they've been the last two or three years. So right. it's a it's a terrific win, but their their schedule uh, it, overall is not the same. I thought the bigger problem for them initially was the fact that Houston and SMU weren't in the rankings. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's uh, I mean now maybe they will be in in coming weeks, but for right now, I thought that. I thought Correct. that was the biggest issue for, for Cincinnati and, and might reflect why they were at number six and not higher.
1: I think um, Cincinnati going into South Bend and ending that 26-game winning streak, I thought was big. And uh, mm-hmm. you guys, by the way, are going to be at Cincinnati Saturday for their game against Tulsa. Game day is going to be in the building. Um The AAC Commissioner Mike Oresco did not mince words. He basically called it the Power Five Invitational, which I thought was a great term. Uh, Does this, all the outcry and the disagreements, Reese, does it just make you really pine for a 12 team playoff? Because, uh, you know, if number 13's complaining, I, I, I don't have as big a problem with that. Uh, as opposed to uh a Cincinnati, which has had a really good year so far,
2: uh, a couple things about about that Cedric. I think that there are some uh potential pitfalls with making the playoff that big twelve just to be candid about it, and I'll get to those, but I don't think Cincinnati is in as bad a shape as many would suggest um they all they, they you know, sure they need a little help, but they would like to not need any. But some of this is going to sort itself out.
1: Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, sure.
2: if, Alabama, if, Alabama, Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, if Alabama loses, they're not going. All this stuff and you know, crazy people say, 2 lost Alabama is going to be in over undefeated Cincinnati. I mean, I can't say definitively because I'm not in the room, but I cannot mm-hmm. conceive of that. that. I don't think there's any chance in the world of that happening. Uh, so there's one that's likely to sort itself out. Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan, that's all going to, that it's all going to play out, it is highly likely that there will be a spot available. I mean, conceivably, maybe not. I mean, I I get it that maybe they could finish fifth and be very frustrated. But, you know, that's part of the price. I mean, Michael Resco is a great guy. He's a terrific TV executive, and I think he's done a wonderful job as commissioner of the American. But I don't think any of us would sit here and say that the American is on par with the Big Ten in the SEC. It's just not. Right. And, not right. and not the Big 12 either. I mean, that doesn't mean Cincinnati can't beat those teams. Mm-hmm. But what it does mean is that more is going to be expected. And more is not uh, jacking around with Navy one win the whole game, and at that time one win. Right. And really for for a half or so with Tulane, you can't do it. You've got to be That's better. True. and And I think they have the opportunity to start being better uh, and finishing strong and building on that great win at Notre Dame as we go forward.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the 12. I I, I feel like Ted and I are kind of alike in that I don't want the regular season diluted uh, because I think it's the only, and I say only important regular season in almost all the sports. Mm-hmm. And I think 12 could delete it too much. I prefer eight. Uh, Ted, where are you nowadays? Are you on eight or twelve?
1: I've always been on eight. I thought eight would have been That's wonderful. I've always been on yeah. eight. I think twelve is. I, I t- I'd rather have twelve than four, but I'd rather have yeah. eight above all. Yeah,
2: Reese, how do you feel? I, I've. I think there's always a time to expand, and I I tend to align with you guys eight with this caveat, and I I brought this up to Barta. I brought it up to Hancock. Mm-hmm. Um. You've got to have a, a restructuring and a different way of evaluating. If you're, if you're going to do the automatic bids, which was what many people seem to want, you have mm-hmm. to have some threshold or you have to like, do away with divisions because there was a um, – I, I wish I could remember off the top of my head which year it was, but two or three years ago, we had conference championship games with, with Pittsburgh – Northwestern team which had lost all of its non-conference games and to lesser opponents and and there was there was one more there were three teams that didn't have any business sniffing the playoff if we went <laughs> if we went automatic bid for winners of conference championship games and kept it as it is in most conferences
0: mm-hmm. you
2: would have the potential for teams that Really didn't earn it through the course of the regular season, and it dilutes the regular season as you were talking about, Kirk. Right. So I would like I, if we are going to do that. I still prefer putting the best teams in the playoff. Mm-hmm. I think it promotes aggressive scheduling. It promotes mm-hmm. games like uh, Ohio State and Oregon, and all the games that you know that Texas has played over the years. Right. But if we're going to do that with automatic bids, there has to be a threshold for the conference champions. You, they have to rank somewhere in the i don't know if it's is it top 12 is it top you know eight top 10 maybe not top 8 it might be a little too much but top 10 something top 12 because you can have you know 25th ranked pittsburgh you know win the ACC championship game and they get a and they get a mm-hmm. it's just not it's not right. good for the sport i don't think i agree
0: i agree i agree uh you mentioned uh alabama not getting in with two losses i totally agree with that but you have your diploma from Alabama uh, would they revoke your diploma and you take that away from you if you if you keep saying that i know they'll be so they'll
2: be so ticked off that they lost two games in one season that uh, you know they'll they'll have other things to worry about. <laughs> uh, you know, uh. you know, so I, I, yeah, I think I am think pretty I think I'm pretty free there. Saying, you know, I'm going to tell saying, you. you uh, did, go
1: ahead, Sid. friend. A uh, friend of our podcast, Joel cladd from Fox Sports, he he put it very succinctly on Twitter. He goes, uh, you know, about Oklahoma being ranked like eighth um, and not being happy. He goes, oh, don't worry about it, OU. Just wait till you get to the SEC. And you could lose one you can lose a game and still be number two. So uh he's not happy. The So I-, I don't know where the Sooners have major beef. They haven't been great all year. They I think they're prob- I think they're probably where they need to be. The last time we saw Uries, they were down twenty eight seven in the first half. Yeah. Against-, against a team that we covered that has hit the skids. So I, I don't know that they're that great. I don't think they're the fourth best team in the country. So uh, I know traditionally, historically, the Big 12, if a Big 12 team runs the table, uh, the Big 12 team's going to get in to the top four. But I don't consider them the fourth, one of the four best teams, not by a long shot.
2: You know, I, I've got them ranked there right now, Cedric. And as, as I said earlier, is probably the one that, that, has caused me the most consternation uh, because I want to respect the fact that they've won those games. Absolutely. But the list, the list is, you know, to your point, they don't look like one of the four best teams. I mean, they, whether it's Tulane or West Virginia or falling behind to Texas or, the, or Kansas, which they won the game, but right. David Pollock and I have argued about this. Had they lost that game, that would have been the worst loss in the modern era of college football. It would have been worse than, than Appalachian State in Michigan, because at least Appalachian State was good, and it would have been worse than mm-hmm. USC losing to Stanford in 2007. And I, I understand that Stanford was coming off a one-win season, but I did a little digging on that after Pollock and I argued. Stanford had, prior to that one really horrific season, had been you know mediocre for a few years, and they were just five, I think, five or six years removed from handing Oregon its only loss of the season from winning nine games. Kansas has been in the abyss since Mark Mangino left. That's been more than a decade. You know, <laughs> exactly. they, they haven't won more than three games in like eight or ten years or something ridiculous. It would have been the worst loss of the modern era of college football, and they brought that into play. And I think when you bring it into play, that if you're ranked eighth. And a couple of teams you know, with a loss are ahead of you, well, you're probably you're probably getting what you deserve
0: and And I would add they're victim of their company. They keep the big twelve is has not been strong. Oh Iowa uh, uh, State has kind of stumbled a couple of times and has not lived up to expectations. Then we got Texas, maybe one of the biggest disappointments in the country. so I think uh, the association doesn't help them either. Uh, one thing I did like about the committee, guys, is that they put Oregon ahead of Ohio State just because I like head-to-head. And I think it, that needs to be a strong consideration, the fact they scheduled it in the first place. It was in Columbus, and Thibodeau you know, didn't play. So I don't know if that might flip-flop in, in the weeks ahead, but is that something you – uh, endorse, or do you think uh, Ohio State has improved so much they're just the better team now, Reese? I, both. Yeah. I, both
2: things, I, I'm fine with saying this. More than one thing can be true, and both true. of those things are true. I think that the head-to-head should carry a lot of weight, and Oregon at the end of the season I, yeah. they will have the best win in college football because mm-hmm. of who they beat and where they want it. Right. But it's also true that I think Ohio State is better than them right now, mm-hmm. because really that's the only Saturday that Oregon has looked apart. The they have a bad mm-hmm. loss at Stanford, and Stanford Oregon. If you guys, and I know you guys follow this closely for whatever reason. Uh, basically, dating all the way back to that game I referenced earlier, Stanford has been Oregon's Achilles heel. They've beaten mm-hmm. them like four or five times when Oregon's been in the top three. You know, there have been, I think, three of those occasions they gave them their only loss of the season. It's just one of those things, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they – but that has to count, too. So I think head-to-head should be really, really important, but I also think it can't be the be-all, end-all. So I, I was pleased to see that. They did it several times uh, throughout the rankings, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Mississippi State, Kentucky, and they don't even have the same record. Mississippi State has mm-hmm. three losses. Kentucky has two. The only, right. and I may be overlooking one. Wisconsin, Iowa is another one. Mm-hmm. But the only one that I see that raised an eyebrow is, for me, is toward the bottom of the standings with Wisconsin and Iowa, and that either of them are even ranked to begin with. But right. then, if you want to make the argument that you're going head to head, well, Penn State has the same record as Wisconsin. They beat them. They're not in it, you know. And one of their yeah. losses is to Auburn. Or no, no, I think they beat Auburn. I mean, it should say they have a big win against Auburn so but they have the bad loss too against Illinois. So, you know, it's there's no way to be 100% consistent because there are too many variables that enter into uh, each each sets of evaluation.
1: Well, you got three Big 10 teams in the top 7 and my doppelganger Mel Tucker is one of the best feel good stories in all of all of the game. Big win over Michigan. Uh do you think Coach Khaki blew his one chance to finally, you know, stub his nose at the establishment and go, yeah, we're that good by blowing that lead to Michigan State?
2: It you know what? It's a lot like
1: uh,
2: on different scales, each of these are different scales. It's a lot like Nebraska and it's a lot like Texas, in that they just find ways to lose. Nebraska finds, invents new ways to lose just about every game of, of any significance. Michigan mm-hmm. does it on the biggest stage, while with last year being an exception for the most part, handling the other business fairly well. But they, they, it's like, you know, they, they tense up. They don't play their best when their best is needed the most. And mm-hmm. I think the same is, is same is certainly true of Texas this year and really last year as well. Um, But for Michigan and the chance, it was a really blown opportunity that was not necessarily blown at the end of the game when Kenneth Walker ran wild. They had so many chances to put that game away, put it out of reach, battle for field goals, you know, uh, crucial mistakes here and there, uh, busted coverages, whatever it might be. And they didn't do it. And it's sort of indicative of where they are almost like they're waiting, you know, like the old cartoons that the three of us probably grew up watching since you and I were within a week of the same age, um, just sitting there waiting on the amble to fall on your head. (laughs) And, you know, and that's sort of what I – that's the feeling I get from Michigan. It's almost like a great hitter who has everything worked out in the cage, and he goes into the box confident, but he needs to see the ball – get down for a hit, he needs to see the ball go over the fence. Nothing really changes mechanically or in approach or anything, but once that happens, there's an intangible quality that opens up a world of possibilities. That's where Michigan is. Michigan can't, they're doing everything you would expect them to do, but the ball just won't go over the fence. And if they ever see that, and I thought they might be about to see it Saturday. If they ever see that, I think they can take the step. But it is definitely a, a missed opportunity, and it's another mental burden that will be hanging over them uh, with their other two big games coming up, and particularly the one at the end against Ohio State.
1: That's such a great analogy. I mean, me, I played basketball growing up, and I, I, I was a gunner. And if I missed my first three, I, took it to, I, I went to the hole. Drew a foul mm-hmm. due into the free throw line. I got to see that ball go in, and yeah, uh, I I think Michigan's really good this year, and so I'm kind of disappointed that they blew that game. Even though I'm happy for Mel Tucker, uh, um, you did mention the Longhorns and they play at Iowa State on Saturday. Um, we need to get that that bird's eye view from you. Uh, you saw them in Dallas, mm-hmm. and you saw the best of them in the first half of that game. And since then, they've just been a mess. They, they get these leads. They've blown three second-half double-digit leads in a row, and they've hit the skids. Uh, I know you you know Steve Sarkeesian. How do you think mm-hmm. he's going to adapt and adjust to, to this major challenge early in his Texas tenure?
2: I think it's going to be really important for him to stay Calm, not overreacting. So far, from what I've been able to um, deduce from afar, I think he's done that. He's he's going to have to find the you know the right mental button to push. I do think, and this is from talking to uh, some some other coaches, uh, some who've played them, some who haven't. They feel like maybe um, you know a little a little upgrade in in just pure old fashioned. Resolve and will and toughness mm-hmm. in places on defense is going to uh, is something that is needed and might take time to instill. So you know I think that um, I, I think it's important for Sark not to overreact unless it becomes necessary and here's what I mean by that. if you keep if I mean and I think they're at the point now you blow you blow three double digit leagues in the second half, you've got to do something. You want to stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. But if at some point the course is taking you to the same result, you've got to change drastically If for no other reason than to shake things up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'm wondering, you know, depending on how they play this week against Iowa State, it it might be time for shakeup if they don't get the results that they want. But it needs to be controlled shakeup. The players need to know that he's, you know that he's completely in charge and completely confident in what he is selling them and not give the perception that he's searching you know there's a difference mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right. if he gives if he gives off the vibe that i don't know what to do we're going to change something then that could be disastrous if he gives the vibe of i know what works and and this is not happening and this is not acceptable and therefore we're making this change and giving this guy a chance to do it for this reason the players will respond to that, and I and I I have confidence that over the long haul, that 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 is what will happen with sark there. But you guys know far better than I. Um, at some point, when you look at, I mean, it's only the first year, so this may be a little unfair, but this is this is not dissimilar from what happened with them last year. You know, right there on the edge, can't win the game. Right there on the edge, can't win the game. And at some point, you say, "Okay, is this more than the head coach? What is the what? What are the other issues that are that are causing this, and how do we address them?"
0: Yeah, Texas is tired of the anvil landing on their head, as you put it earlier. <laughs> you know, he,
1: very, very he coyote down he, here, Reese, Very coyote for us.
0: Yeah, he's he's been very calm and professional and steady, like the guy you probably know well. Uh, in addition, I think Cedric and I. And others think it's more of a talent problem, and especially in the offensive and defensive line, where you know SEC <laughs> teams make their living, and yeah. uh, they just haven't had playmakers there, and that's probably the biggest problem more than Sark, I think. So mm-hmm. uh, um, that said, you know, he might have to shake things up, and you know, maybe even at quarterback. I don't know. Uh, well, one thing that did get shaken up was uh, TCU. Gary Patterson let go. Uh, this seems to be a growing trend in college football: firing coaches in mid-season. You know Clay Helton, who's already got a new job. Ed Orgeron. I mean, kind <laughs> of go down the list. Is, does that trouble you? Is it even more of a big business than it's been for like maybe the last twenty years?
2: Yeah, I, I think you know it, it's been a big business for a long time. It's a <laughs> results-oriented yeah. business, um, right. you know. And I I get that, but I don't I don't like it. Mid season, because I don't think it serves anybody. And mm-hmm. you know, I hear people say they want to salvage a recruiting class or they want to get a head start on the coaching mm-hmm. search. Give me a break. We mm-hmm. we've all been around this a long time. If you're searching for a coach and if somebody's going to listen, they're going to their people are going to listen for them, and it doesn't put you behind. They, you know, mm-hmm. nobody's leaving mid season to you know leaving. Um, right. You know Penn State to go coach USC just to pull an example out of the air. Uh, you know right. they're not they're not leaving <laughs> midseason to do it. Uh, so you know what's what's the point? You know yeah. I, I don't quite understand it. And uh, you know I, I especially um, I especially was disappointed that that Gary is not. Um, you know wasn't that that decision wasn't announced at the end of the season? I understand it because yeah. they they slipped and it didn't. You know, it didn't seem to be just right. And Gary's someone that, back when I was calling Thursday night games, I did a ton of TCU games, and I'm very fond of him personally and think that outside of the building job that Bill Snyder did at Kansas State,
0: that -hmm. Gary
2: Patterson building TCU is the greatest building job. I don't even say rebuilding because they've been so long, so far removed from having any success of note. I think it's the second greatest building job in the modern era of college football. Um, hmm. Snyder is Snyder's in a class by himself. Absolutely. You know, because, I mean, they were, they were not subjectively, they were objectively, by record, Kansas State, I mean, the worst program in college football. And he, he made, almost took them to a national championship and made them a perennial winner and made them a program that has expectations
1: you know, Patterson
2: uh, even and Patterson even won up that a little bit by by leading TCU from conference to conference winning them all along the way coming within an eyelash of playing mm-hmm. for a national championship in the BCS era and of being in the play at the first playoff. So, you know, to me, he's a legend and needs to be appreciated in the historical context of the sport and not just for turning TCU into a winner. He he had a gargantuan impact on realignment, on uh, on power structure of the uh, program, just simply by building TCU into a winner. He's
0: the and only
1: he's not reason. not done yet. Yeah, he's the
0: only to reason. He's going to get another reach, job. Yeah. I, I thought maybe he'd be a fit at Virginia Tech if, if Justin Fuente loses his job, but he won't be on the sidelines
1: long. No, and he's, no, he's, he's the only reason we talk about
0: He won't unless, he, unless TCU. he goes into a into a studio someplace and start uh, making music,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, I think
0: he's too competitive to just do the music thing,
1: though. I, I think that, yeah, I, I think it, I think that's a side hustle. I just thought, yeah, I, the yeah. Little, the little general full time on on the voice, uh, yeah, that I just don't see that. I, I don't think they allow visors on the voice, so he's going to be on a football field again. Um, I don't like the look. I don't like the optics of of the you know people say oh we got to we got to salvage this recruiting class. So you whack the guy who's convinced the kid to come to the school. That makes no sense to me. And I just I just think that he deserved better. Now is is Gary uh, strong-willed and and an alpha dog? Uh, yes, he is. Did they ask him to make changes? On his staff, yes, they did. And Gary Patterson uh, is is a man who runs a tight ship, and uh, you know, for, for for him to not be able to finish it out, uh, and they did mm-hmm. give him that option, but but under those other conditions, I just thought that was sad, given how much he's meant to that school. He's the only reason we even talk about TCU football. Yep. Uh, it makes yeah. no sense.
0: The last thousand. Thousand percent. Last thing I want to ask you uh, before we play our little game here at the end, uh, LSU, are you looking for a big name to, to get there? That Scott Woodward's mo. I don't know. If I even said maybe he'll go after Urban Meyer, who's not working out that well in Jacksonville. Do you look for a big splash in Baton Rouge? Uh,
2: I, I do. Uh, I know. I know Scott well from his uh, from his days at Washington, where we first met. And I mean, people he hired. You know, people always bring up Peterson and uh, and Jimbo. He hired Sark too. You know, yeah. as he so he's. And, but at the time, Sark wasn't a sitting head coach. He's got an eye for talent. He he knows what he wants, and as head coach, I mean, he just went and got Kim Mulkey. You know, in <laughs> women's basketball. Right. So so I think yes, I do think that. Um, and I would be, I, I would be a little surprised mm-hmm. given. Recent occurrences. If he hired, uh, if he went after Urban Meyer. Now Urban Meyer is a great coach. There are there are only there are only two coaches who transcend fit. Meaning everybody says is he a good fit here. You you mentioned it earlier, and I agree. You know with Gary and and Virginia Tech potentially if that would ever come open.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The only two coaches who transcend fit are Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. That's it. Right. right. And right. everybody else needs to fit. And yeah. You know, I, so I would understand it from that standpoint, but I think the the recent circumstances would uh, would make it would make it almost mm-hmm. as difficult as maybe hiring
0: the Texas special teams coach. Right, right. But somebody like a Billy Napier may not move the needle, even though he's a damn good coach. Right, you know. Got yeah, like I, I mean, business, so. yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. If if that happens, um, and,
2: and I li- I like Billy and have great respect for him as a coach as well, but if it is. Billy Napier, or even even a Mark Stoops, who I also think is a terrific coach, I think right. that will indicate that uh, that it didn't work out with the initial with the initial targets. Right. That would be my judgment of the situation.
1: Right.
0: Ted, do you got any other football
1: questions before we play our hot corner? No, man, let's let's get right to it. The hot corner is always is usually reserved for first time, big time stars. So and <laughs> and this may have nothing to do about sports. So I'm gonna ask the first one. Movie night at Reese Davis's and, and five of your closest friends are coming over as couples, and you've got to you've gotta pick out three movies. What are those movies?
2: Okay, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is the greatest movie ever made <laughs> oh, my, by the Coen Brothers.
1: Oh man, my wife loves George <laughs> Clooney. Okay,
2: yeah, Shawshank
1: Redemption. Oh, you in your family. Okay,
2: yeah, and I'm a and I'm I'm a comedy guy, so I would probably go for something um, a little offbeat and silly and and wacky. It could be. Um, it could be anything from, like, Steve Carell and, and Get Smart. It could be, um, it, you know what, I don't know why I can't think of it. I've got better ones than that, but that that was the first one that came to mind uh, for some reason. So I would go with, with something goofy like that, something sort of mindless entertainment.
1: For some reason, I thought well, you'd say old school uh, because that just keeps well, popping into school. my head. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah, old school. Well, you're wrong
0: on the movies. The best movies are actually *To Kill a Mock and, and *Hoosiers*. The well, okay. Best well, he's not, so, a, he's, he's not a he's not he's not a hundred years movies, old. Stop but Stop they're it. not better than *Oh Brother, Where Art Thou* and really just
2: about all of the just about all of the Coen Brothers movie. I'm, I'm a big. fan. Yeah, I'm oh, not yeah. a guy who knows the directors and producers and all of that, but for right. some reason I know their work and I'm, I'm a big fan.
1: And Shawshank oh, Redemption. Oh, you probably say *The
2: Hangover* too, since we just had Ken Jeong on as guest Oh, I love I it. it! I like it.
1: Uh, I like Shawshank it. Redemption, for the record, my favorite movie of all time. It's awesome.
0: We love it. We love it. i watch okay. it over and over.
1: Can't, can't what stop. What was
0: your major at Alabama, and uh, what would you be doing if you weren't a, a famous sports
2: broadcaster? <laughs> <laughs> um, my major at Alabama, I was in the uh, um, School of Communication, which is now the College of Communication and Information Sciences. That was a news and public affairs major. And okay. even though even though I often, uh, often and I'm not being flippant about this, but often stand and fall short, my other career path was I was... Uh, considering one time being a campus minister, so oh, wow, uh, I, I I don't know that I've necessarily uh, lived up to that in, in my in my daily walk now, but that that's probably that's probably what I would have done otherwise.
1: That's wonderful. That's nice. wonderful. Um, not trying to get you in trouble here. Celebrity crush. <laughs> uh,
2: celebrity crush. You know what? I I don't really have one. I make sure my wife's not around the corner here. Okay, good. Uh, you
0: you know started this whispering. Is
2: a, this is a quasi celebrity question. There's a there's a Peloton instructor, Olivia Amato, and she and I've she been in her
1: class. Faster, so. Oh my
2: god! Yeah. So I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go with her. She
1: did a print But I don't she really have a print any. I've got segment. the best.
2: I've got the best wife in the world, and really, she's crushing
1: up for me. Nice. That is nice. a very okay. smart answer.
0: Okay, last question for me. Uh, give us something people don't know about you, whether it's a hidden talent or some hobby, fetish, advice. <laughs> give us, give us, give us something inside in the Reese Davis that nobody or very few know. Please oh, don't tell us you have man. a toupee. Oh, okay, Please don't tell us that. I, I have to.
2: I, I guess I, I guess I would say this. There are a couple things. One, okay. uh, even though I'm I'm pretty pretty quiet about it. Uh, I'm probably uh, I'm a stressed out baseball parent all the time when my son's playing. Um, so that, <laughs> that a lot of people may know that he, he played uh, at Princeton until he got his undergrad degree. And now he's, in, he's a super senior at Duke. Nice. Um, so I, I I get into that hardcore. But the yeah. other weird thing, I guess it might be weird to some people. I know more about, the production and trivia of the Andy Griffith show than any human being really ought to know.
1: (laughs) Barney. Well, well, okay. Now that you open up that can, uh, was, was Aunt B really as big a handful as I've read over the years?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes, she was. She, and uh, until actually until her latter years when she was, you know, I think in assisted living or so forth, she and, uh, and Andy Griffith had, had quite a contentious relationship though. They made peace in the later years from what I understand. So yeah, that is, she, she felt like she was a classically trained actress. See, I told you I knew too much. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) she, I think she felt like the role wasn't challenging yet. It was something that, you know, she was involved in and, you know, it, it paid the bills and it, you know, it was, it was a great role, but I think for her, um, uh, taste as an actress that was it was a maybe not quite up to her standard in terms of being challenging
0: wow. I love Barney Fife golly he was just <laughs> he was such a such a goofball and there's a museum in, in Andy Griffith there in North Carolina yeah in, in Mount Airy there. which is I haven't yeah. been there either I should
2: be I should go but in Mount Airy I think which is what Mayberry right. was based on
0: so right exactly so what, what position did your kid play uh, he still does. He's an outfielder. Yeah, nice. outfielder he, in, at Duke. Huh? Yeah, yeah, he's an
2: outfielder. They, uh, um, they'll, they'll open, they'll open it, open at Baylor. He, um, he was, I'm obviously proud of our my both my kids. My daughter's a senior at NYU and and uh, drama, and nice. he was a two time captain of the Princeton baseball team. And through COVID and injuries and so forth, he mm-hmm. he thought he was having one year at Duke. It's turned into two. So he's got his uh, he's got his second year there this year. And he's uh, finishing up uh, some grad school work. So You're the good. guy
0: that yells at umpires and stuff like
2: that. <laughs> I, I okay. I, I will say I will say this right now. I don't, not not <laughs> most of the time, but I will say this. On the scale of people who are there to uh, enforce the rules of the game, football <laughs> officials are the best by far because they're not obtrusive and they don't they don't make it about them. Mm-hmm. And. Basketball referees are second, although they're you know, sometimes they can get a little carried away with the block charge stuff.
1: Well yeah.
2: Umpires are in a category by themselves. Horrible. They are the only people on earth who say, Don't you dare say anything and show me up when they show up the players on every freaking call. Have you ever seen anybody pump somebody out at first base or ring up a strikeout? Every call they're showing somebody up. You know? Of of those, go ahead. Don't do that.
1: Of the three, Uh, no. Am I right? Am I right? No, you're a million percent correct. Because of those three, the umpires, a lot of them believe that the people are there to see them. Agreed. They think they think the fans are there to see a fat guy with a chest protector moonwalking (laughs) like Leslie (laughs) Nielsen and naked gun. I just I don't get it. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, and I never and, have.
0: And we know pressure. We all three of us know pressure in our jobs, but the biggest pressure I ever felt was I was umpiring at some youth baseball game. Oh my God. Oh, hey, look.
2: Hey, look, I've done it too, and i don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It is hard. It's <laughs> a hard job. But yeah. the, you know, <laughs> the, uh, I man, would one try of my favorite it. things that I heard that a coach that a coach used about it. You uh-huh. to say to an umpire, "Say, oh, when you look at the tape on that, when you are going to be so disappointed in yourself."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did oh, have my. I did have an affinity growing up for the fat umpires, though. Uh, Eric Gregg, that <laughs> big old black dude, uh, Country Ugh. Joe West, those guys in the, in the heat of those summers when those were back when they had to wear all black. I mean. <laughs> It was was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Uh, Okay, here's my...
2: Whenever I hear Joe West, I think of the great Skip Carey, calling him the singing cowboy, Joe West.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Country Joe West. Uh, Here's my last one, and we'll let you go. All right, uh, if you're having a great dinner at your house and you can invite three celebrities living or dead, uh, and I'm stealing this from our colleague Rick Cantu, who would they be?
2: Who? How many? Uh, three. Okay. Uh, let's see. Three great celebrities. I would uh, living or dead. I would invite Robin Williams. Nice. Uh, Robin Williams, Steve Martin. Wow. And uh, uh, let's see. And uh, and you know what? Uh, and and uh, Abraham Lincoln, I guess. Wow. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. I don't know. Poor Abraham. Poor Abraham at that, that little, table. That was a little struggle. <laughs> I, I was looking for something to juxtapose uh, Williams and Martin. Somebody like really serious on the oh other side. God. You know, to kind of make it a bit.
0: Yeah, have a straight guy. Isn't you it? know, there's yeah, there's that's, that's what I was looking guy. for. You know, there's
2: going to be a food... on that one though. I've got to have my dinner party yeah, ready, more ready than that.
1: You know, there's going to be a food I fight met... at that table. I mean, Robin Williams. There's going to be a food fight where Robin Williams and Steve Martin. It's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I met Robin
0: Williams in France covering the Tour de France, and he is just as funny. And that is who Robin Williams was. He was just a laugh a second, just just brilliant. So. I don't know if you'd eat anything at, at your dinner, but you'd be laughing very hard. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Like we, have, like we have the last half hour. You've been more than generous with your time, and uh, we just can't thank you enough for being on our little show, Reese.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. I, I really enjoy uh, both your work, and, and you guys help keep, keep us in the loop with what's going on at Texas and, and throughout college football. So I re- I'm really appreciative of that, and it's great to be on with you.
1: Well, Reese Davis, well, uh, thank you so much. He will be the in the in the mix on Saturday, Cincinnati v Tulsa, ESPN College Game Day. Can't thank you enough. Thank you, brother, and we'll we'll chop it up again sometime real soon. Thank you, man.
0: Sounds good. Take care. Bye
2: bye. All right, guys. See you later. Bye bye.
1: On second thought.
0: True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher.
1: Doug, how good is Reese Davis uh, giving us great, great insight and just making us laugh and just as cool as we thought he was?
0: He just pure class. I just love the guy. I've always liked him, and you can tell he, he's serious about his craft. But he doesn't take himself too seriously, and I just love that he's just he's just kind of man of the people, you know. And I think we could to talk to him another hour, and he would have been fine with it. So yeah, and yeah, I that saw was, him. That was I, fun.
1: I saw him holding court in Dallas, and I wanted to meet him, but he, there are so many people around, and he he loves his job, and mm-hmm. you know there are other people that that work in in that company that I've seen on site. And they're not into the people; they're into the job, but they're not into the people, and they kind of mm-hmm. kind of scurry away from from uh, you know meeting with the public. But these pe- but Reese Davis is perfect for what they're doing. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a walking billboard to the success of that show, along with Herbie. Yeah, no, you're right, and uh, I don't
0: know. We just. Have so much fun, and we just, you know, just so pleased that so many big names are able to join us and just share some knowledge on us.
1: Hey, man! Um, before we get out of here, um, you know, we haven't we haven't asked this question on our podcast. Will the Longhorns answer the bell? It's Thursday, Duck, and our picks are due today. Uh, you need to go ahead, and we we need to figure out, we need to find out what you're thinking right now. Tell our our big podcast audience, where you're leaning, who's who's going to win in Ames?
0: Well, it's more than a lean. It's a it's a hard pick, and I uh, like Cyclones. I, I learned my lesson. I go, this Texas team isn't very good. It is capable of playing good at several points, long stretches in games, but not good enough to close anything out, as we know. And I just okay. All right, you've convinced me. I'm not going to beat my head against the wall and pick you to upset anymore. Iowa State's got so much more on the line. Still got a shot at getting that second spot in the Big 12 title game race. And as we all know, Josh Thompson said it's the most hostile environment in uh, the Big 12.
1: So More hostile than Baylor.
0: Yeah, exactly. Wow. So so how how would Iowa State possibly lose? Cause, and, and they're... Is mad at Texas for leaving and breaking up the Big 12 with anybody. So, yeah, I'm going hard in with uh, Iowa State this
1: weekend. You know, and the Longhorns are just scorely enough to go in there and and beat Iowa State. Because Iowa State hasn't been great all year. And they lost again last week uh, to West Virginia, 38 31. And the Longhorns are very talented. But the Longhorns don't close. And until the Longhorns close, I will not be picking them again. I will pick them against Kansas. I will pick them yeah. against Kansas, but uh K-State, I'm withholding my pick there. Who knows? Um in West Virginia, I'm I'm right now I would pick West Virginia at home to beat Texas. Yeah. That's just yeah, how I that, that that's just right what we're looking at right now. I mean, we're looking so at what could be narrative. a 6-16. They got changed the
0: narrative, and they have not for 3 weeks in a row. So why do we believe anything will be different?
1: We don't, we don't, we don't. So we're on the same page there. Uh, Real quick, the NFL was rocked. Aaron Rodgers has the coronavirus. After spending the offseason, giving off signals that he was vaccinated. The word is he's not vaxxed. Is Aaron Rodgers, A, an idiot or a very bad poker player? Or is he just not care uh, about the optics that are surrounding him now, now that it's been disclosed that he not only has the coronavirus, but reportedly has been following the protocols uh, in the facility that are designed for unvaccinated players?
0: Well, and apparently he lied about it and saying that he had been vaccinated, even though he wasn't. So there's that to throw in the mix as well. So uh, I don't know. This is just kind of part and parcel to his season. You know, he's one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks ever. One of the most accurate uh, quarterbacks I've ever seen with a great arm. Uh, And he's a hard guy to ever bet against. But it's just he's been such a diva. He's you know, he wants to be the GM and the quarterback and I understand him wanting some input and and let it also be said the Packers screwed up royally by drafting Jordan Love uh as a backup uh, quarterback when they needed so much other help. So they needed receivers, and that, that was that
1: receiver draft with all of yeah, those guys.
0: I, I get all that, but I, I don't know, it's just sometimes it's hard to be a Aaron Rodgers fan. Although I do like the uh Jeopardy uh uh, commercials on the insurance, so I think that's pretty
1: funny. You know what? Uh, I saw a tweet that was that was. I mean, I had to share it. The guy, the, the, the tweeter said, "Great quarterback, questionable human."
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he likes being the outlier in the rebel.
1: I think he know? does too. Uh, what about the what about the Cowboys? Are are they as good as we think they are? They should go to Denver and win. Dak will be back. Uh I, I think I think the Dallas Cowboys uh barring barring unforeseen injuries are going to make a deep playoff run and I can't believe I said that out loud.
0: Well, I mean if, if Cooper Rush can can win uh with all the talent around him, what are they going to do if Dak Prescott's fully healthy? So, yeah, I think their the defense has finally risen closer to the level of the offense and if they're not the best team in the NFL right now, they're definitely, you know, top three, and I sure wouldn't bet against
1: them. Who are your Who are your Who are your top five NFL teams right now?
0: Oh well, let me think. You know, we just talked about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have to be up there. They haven't lost since opening uh, opening week, so I think people sleep on them a little bit. But you know, I would put Green Bay in there. Obviously, Dallas. Obviously, Tampa Bay. And I would lean, I would lean slightly to the Rams over Buffalo. What
1: about Arizona? What about Arizona?
0: Well, I don't know if I totally believe in Arizona. They're getting it done now. You know, now they're starting to have some injuries, like JJ Watt on the defensive side, but Christian Kirk's come alive too. But I just don't know if I have the same faith in the Arizona Cardinals as I do the other teams we mentioned.
1: I think I would go Rams number 1 Cowboys 2 um, I like the Bills I uh, but I but their offense their offense can be a little sputtery um Cowboys two. um Yeah, I go Bills Cardinals Bucks Tom Brady no Packers <sighs> I think when it comes down to it, they're not going to get stops. This it's it's the story with Green Bay every year. Too offensively, too offensive, they two offensive dependent. One, they're seven and one, but the teams that I named, the only one that I named that I think I would pick Green Bay to be would be Arizona, maybe. But I, I wouldn't yeah. pick them against Dallas. I wouldn't. I think Tampa Bay would overwhelm them, um, and I, and I think and I think the Rams. Uh, Run defense would would stifle Aaron Jones and put too much on Brady. And the Rams have terrific cornerbacks. And uh,
0: again,
1: and then once again, up Von Miller. Too. Yeah, and they just got Von Miller. And once again, yeah. the the Packers didn't address the need at receiver. You got thirty five year old Randall Cobb still yeah. trying to trying to get it done out there. Marque- Marcus Valdez, Scantling, and uh, Alan Lazard. That's those aren't. That's not a capable number two. You look at those other teams. Uh, the Rams have have um Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and the Cardinals have Hopkins and Kirk and that tremendous Rondell Moore rookie and uh, AJ Green who still got some juice left. So mm-hmm. and of course Dallas has has its two really good receivers. So I I, I would put Green Bay outside of my top five.
0: Yeah, but they're there are like six or eight really good capable teams, unlike college football where we got Georgia and everybody else, you know, I just, and back to our conversation with Reese, I've got OU number two in the country. I just, maybe that's overinflated, but I put a lot of stock in finding a way to win. And this, this freshman quarterback is just phenomenal. No, he's and I think great. He's, a, he's a different cat. And this is not the same Oklahoma team. <clears throat> that that we saw pre-Texas game in the Cotton Bowl, so and I know you, he's transformed that team.
1: The one thing you you do put a lot of stock in wins. Uh, I I ask myself, and I've never been an AP voter, but so I know it's a difficult job, Doug, But I ask myself, are they the second best team in the country? <clears throat> they aren't. They just aren't. But who is? Um, I would pick Alabama all day long against OU. But they uh, lost I
0: would, Alabama, and they barely beat Florida. Yeah.
1: You know? I, w- I would pick Alabama. I would pick Alabama over OU. I would take I would take Michigan State over OU. Um, well, Michigan State
0: hadn't really beaten anybody but Michigan. Yeah, that's they beat, true. They beat Miami, but Miami hadn't been very good.
1: And, so, and I would, I You can could,
0: you could pick apart. And we know we Oregon. know Georgia.
1: Um, Oregon. Yeah. I don't like Oregon in number four. Um, they 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 did show up against Ohio State. I would take a. I we'll would take Ohio State all day long over OU. I just would.
0: Well, they're playing. They're playing very well. They struggle a little bit against Penn State, but that, that's a huge rivalry game. So, so I understand that. But I would
1: that's take good. Oklahoma to beat Cincinnati. I just would. I would.
0: Yeah, we're gonna see so much change these next four weeks. It's it's gonna be just
1: fascinating to watch. Well, man, it's been a blast. Uh, it's time for us to go get some Chinese food, man. We we gotta thank Reese Davis, the incomparable Reese Davis, for joining us. For episode 240 that will do it for this week for the duck kirk Bowles. i'm said golden we'll see you at the games you've been listening to on second thought powered by hook'em.com join Seth and kirk every thursday at lunch for a new episode archived episodes are available on itunes and google android play